Hello and welcome to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast, your weekly roundup of the best of bailiwick sport. Uh, coming up today, game on for the Green Lions. We'll hear from manager Tony Vance, who now has just 10 days to get his team ready following this week's border announcements. We're in a completely new league, so we don't know absolutely anything about the teams. Uh, that could work in our favour because they don't know about us, but... In all fairness, I don't really know about us at the moment. So uh... We'll also hear from Guernsey's newest Granite Man champion, Chris Norman, who conquered the quarry and his competition to win last week's showpiece triathlon event. I didn't expect it, we'll say that. I didn't expect it. I thought it was in good form, but um, I was shocked to see the clock as I crossed it. And we'll look ahead to what's coming up over the next week as Guernsey Raiders target a third straight win on the road. Uh, the Raiders women gear up for their first league game in God knows how many months. And hundreds of Islanders prepare for Sunday's half marathon. I'm Tony Kerr and alongside me I've got Rob Batiste. Hello, hello. Jamie Ingrill. Hi. And Gareth Prevo. Hi, Tony. Great to see you guys. Um, we'll come on to our picks of the week uh, in a moment. But let, let's start with the border announcements and what that means for Ireland sport. Uh, Pretty good news for the Green Lions, for one, and I'm sure a lot of other people now will be thinking about what they can do. Yeah, yeah, certainly the news of it was like one of those 40-yard goals out the blue. You know, it was um, we didn't expect that. Um, but it's great news for all Ireland sport. You know, Guernsey FC is back next week. That'll do wonders for the game locally in so many ways. Um, one or two coaches and one or two old club f- Officials may not think that, but in, in broader terms, most certainly will. And um, we'll have inter-island sport football back, one would presume, very soon. Jeremy and Weeway Cups and hopefully all the various inter-insulars, because face it, we've missed out on a couple of um, schoolboy and junior Marathis, etc. And um, everybody will be looking forward to sort of targeting those sort of things come the spring. Yeah, and it's going to be a very busy 10 days for everyone at Guernsey FC. Uh, Tony Vance, Mark Letizia, I'm sure everyone involved off the field as well. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot to do, Gareth, to get ready. Yeah. Speaking to Mark Letizia yesterday, <laughs> he started reading off all the things he has to do within the next 10 days or so and start planning him because it's come as sort of such a shock, really. Um, yeah, so they're going to be very busy. I don't think Mark's going to get much sleep in the next 10 days, but I'm sure he's delighted that they're actually going to get some games finally. Um, but yeah, no, it is really good news. Obviously, um, Raiders have started their rugby season with four away games. Uh, they're coming up to the last one of those now. Um, and so as it turns out, I think only Leicester Lions will be the, the one sort of side coming to Guernsey who have to have everyone fully vaccinated because after that, theoretically, um, visiting sides will be able to sort of come back and forth um, with however strong a side they can field. So um, no, I think it's just great news all round. And I think it might spare some difficult conversations as well around you know, players that have or haven't been vaccinated. I know, you know there are some members of the sporting community who, who you know, haven't had the jab for whatever reason and, and will have, would have been excluded from taking part, who presumably now will be welcomed back into the fold. And then, of course, there were quite a few of the under-18s who were training with them who hadn't had any vaccination at all yet because of their age. But, of course, that's all out the window now. So, um, yeah, Tony can pick from a full squad. And one would expect there's going to be um, a bit of a stampede down Victoria Avenue um, this evening, Thursday, for first proper training um, ahead of that first game. Yeah, well, let's hear from Guernsey FC boss Tony Vance now. I spoke to him after that announcement and began by asking just what his reaction was to the news. Uh, really pleasantly surprised. Uh, you know, we'd heard rumours, but uh, until it sort of comes out and then comes out sort of obviously very, very quickly in terms of the changes and, and how it affects us and impacts on us is is um, really exciting. Yeah, brilliant. And it looks like the first game could be a week on Saturday, all being well. Um, 
you've had some serious challenges in the 10 years of GFC, but getting a team together at sort of 10 days notice when you've been on and off and on and off again, where will this rank in, uh, in, the, in the, the list of tasks you've been faced as manager? Yeah, right up there. We've, we've had some real challenges, as you said, and, and lots of uh, interesting conundrums and, and, and situations that we've had to deal with. And uh, here's another one. Uh, the training, as I, as I mentioned in sort of previous sort of um, interviews, has been challenging, and uh, we were we were starting to drop, uh, and uh, suddenly that one decision is, is now sort of put us really in the driving seat to try and ramp things up again. But time's running out. We've probably got two sessions uh, before we've got to prepare ourselves for a game that, in all honesty, we're miles off um, in terms of, of of what you would consider uh, the right preparation. And, and normally we're, we're we're away off the teams anyway because we can't get pre-season fixtures. But now we're, we're sort of two years away from <laughs> playing games at this level and it's going to be an interesting day, I think. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, as you say, you've gone through a few pre-seasons more or less. You've been ticking over. There was a game against St. Martins down at the KG5 uh, where, we saw a new, uh, where we saw a few new faces involved. Um, yeah, how will this next week look in terms of preparation? What will you try and do? Well, we've really got to ramp it up and, and sort of start getting our game faces on. Um, trying to sort of uh, go through phases and scenarios that we might face uh, and really sort of, as I said, be match pre prepared as best we can. Uh, so um, we got to really home in and focus on, on that. And um, we'll be putting individuals in, in positions and places where they haven't uh, had to deal with uh, in terms of the opposition and the challenges they will face. So uh, we've got to get them ready as quick as we can. And looking at the table, uh, I think most of the teams in what is a new division for you guys uh, have played sort of four, five, six games. So in terms of a sort of worst case scenario, it isn't actually that bad in terms of catch up. No, it's not. And uh, but you know it's important that we catch up as quick as we can without uh, without obviously the fixtures being um, a complete uh, disaster for us in terms of um, commitment and, and the logistical problems. So, uh, but it could be a lot worse. Uh, you know, we 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 many moons ago we had a, we had a, a situation where it was close to ridiculous so we're not that far off but uh, we are at a different level now and uh, you know the other thing is is we're in a completely new league so we don't know absolutely anything about the teams uh, that could work in our favour because they don't know about us but in all fairness I don't really know about us at the moment so uh, so um, it's going to be a learning curve for everybody. And Yeah I mean just finally uh, so much uncertainty over the last few months and, and, and year and a bit um, I'm sure you haven't been planning too far ahead, obviously, with no knowledge of what's going to happen. But now that we've got the confirmation of the, the changes to the border stuff yesterday, and the go-ahead, uh, I think you know from from GFC sort of from the GFC board that, that you guys are ready to go. Have you have you allowed yourself to to think about those home games again and what it's going to be like to to walk back out and uh, and, and watch your team play in front of you know the best part of a thousand people down there? To be honest, since the decision and the announcements were made, I thought nothing but that. Uh, so. Uh, Got to get my mind into gear, you know. Myself, Guernsey. We, we talk about the players and what Guernsey presents in terms of a comfort zone. And you know, I've put, I've, I've been in that for the last 18 months, and I've got to get out of it quickly. And uh, you know, like, as I said, the last 24 hours has been manic. Um, trying to get my head around various scenarios. There's so much to uh, to cram in in the next sort of seven to ten days to get ourselves ready. Um, on the field, obviously, 
you know, we've spoken about the training and the way we've got to ramp that up and, and get everyone with their game faces on and ready uh, as best we can. But off the field, you've got things like sort of sponsorships and, and uh, sort of tracksuits and printing and a, a various kit that has been on hold because uh, we'd be, it, it would be sort of prudent. We've got to be prudent in those situations. You don't want to go and spend money that, that you might not need. In a, uh, and scenarios you might, might not need so uh, we've now got to quickly uh, go out and, and get some kit and <laughs> various things like that off the field as well as uh, as well as all the admin situations. Tony Vance there speaking to me yeah 10 days to prepare quite mad really when you think about it uh, the challenges and the sort of the uh, things that that club have been faced with over the years uh, that you sort of add another kind of almost unimaginable obstacle really into their path but um yeah I'm sure they'll be delighted to have that workload ahead of them rather than not so there we go um let's get some picks of the week then Gareth let me come to you first uh, yeah, there's sort of a couple of things. Certainly on the field, I, I want to give a shout out to um, the Elizabeth College First Eleven hockey team who won their opening um, top flight match of the season. Um, it, I wasn't expecting that. I must admit when I turned up and saw sort of, I knew that casuals would be missing a couple of their college boys because obviously they play in, in um, the college team first. But turn up to see casuals with a couple of their best players back. Certainly Andy Wally was back having missed the opening game. Um, and fair play, college thoroughly deserved to win. They, they ended up winning 3-2. They were 3-0 up with nine minutes to go, and they were pretty much cruising. And then one goal out the blue, one long aerial ball, and uh, Chris Lowen managed to score, and you're thinking, oh, no, are they going to manage to hold on? And, of course, Chris Lowen scored again after Andy Wally set him up, and you're, you're just sort of fingers crossed for the last three minutes. Please hold on, college, because they, they thoroughly deserved it. And to be fair to them, they didn't have any more scares and no, it was really good for them to get that win, so I was, I was very pleased with them. Um, and otherwise, um, really my highlight of the week being being the sort of the golf ball that I am, um, having the opportunity to chat to Norman Wood, the former Royal Guernsey professional, about his Ryder Cup um, uh, experiences was fantastic this week. Um, it's all part of, um, obviously, with the Ryder Cup being in Wisconsin this week, um, Padraig Harrington, the captain, has... And gone along the lines of other sports and given the team their, their numbers of representing Europe down the years. We're now up to only 164 players have represented Europe and over sort of nearly 100 years of competition. It's a very few. Um, so I was quite delighted to be able to say to Norman, he was number 80, he didn't know. So, um, and then he then told me about the stories of playing against the likes of Jack Nicholas and beating Lee Trevino in the singles. And it's just great to hear some of those stories. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, yeah, you can read all about... Um uh, about Norman's experiences of the Ryder Cup in your article in Friday's paper. Look forward to reading that. Rob, let's come to you next. Yeah, I've got a highlight and a very low light. The <laughs> 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 highlight first, we've already touched on it at the beginning of the week, was that Brad Foss goal at St Andrews last week. I've since seen it on Colin Fallais's VEO camera um, perched high above St Andrews, and it looks even better. I mean, it looks absolutely staggering. He takes this high ball off. Um, pump down downfield, kills it pretty quickly up down on the left, and then smack into the top corner from I don't know 35, 40 yards. And Neil O'Reilly didn't move. That was a real plus. Absolutely um, belter. Worth going to Rangers Twitter feed to have a look at that. Yeah, yeah. Please do. Um, as for um, the thing that struck me most this year was this absolutely criminal news which came out of Lords on Wednesday. The Lord MCC have been. 
um, fiddling around with the laws of cricket again and we are going to be saying goodbye to the term batsman um, which I think is absolutely excuse me bloody ludicrous um, <laughs> <laughs> you know after all these years we're going to take it away um, some people have called it there's um, ultra-wokeism um, I'm not so fussed I'm not seeing it more from a woke point of view um, although I think it's very easy to do that I'm seeing it more of a, this continual dumbing down of cricketing terms and changing what is a great sport um, into well Americanizing it more and more I think it's um, going a little bit too far you know why couldn't we have if they wanted to make give you know the, the term uh, or alter the term batsman for the sake of the women's game why not call them bats women simple as that um, you wouldn't need to change anything for bowlers or fielders just purely for that term I don't, they didn't need to do any more than that um, but now we've got to have you know this and um, batters I think it really does cheap it's very much it's very a baseball term and I know it's already well used by some certain commentators on on the radio and on television but I think it, oh, I just hate it I must admit and I'm sure I'm not alone on that yeah look it sparked a pretty pretty uh excitable reaction hasn't it as you'd expect yeah for a sport that's obviously steeped in so much tradition I think you know wicketkeeper th- will be next there'll be <laughs> yeah Rob you know there'll be there'll be a lot of people though who say uh, who have already said you know if it makes one young girl feel more comfortable playing the sport then you know then it, then it will be a good thing and, and actually everyone should just kind of just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, I see that argument and I'm not I'm not upset from that point of view at all. I'm just thinking of purely, I think they're dumbing down cricket deliberately and making it more and more towards a baseball game. It, we see the evidence of in T20 cricket in the 100 where this, it's now more about hitting the ball out of the park. And to my mind, cricket is far, far more than that. It always has been. It's about a multitude of skills. and But now I think the powers that be, for the sake of television and, and money, of course, they want to make it as exciting as possible by and seeing the ball dip- disappear out of the ground as much as they can. And, of course, baseball is that type of sport. Um, so that's, that's my conviction <laughs> <laughs> no, on that side of things so yeah exactly that the, the six hitting it's empty calories isn't it it's kind it, of uh, it it's, is it is um, it's I, I still remember when i first joined the guernsey press we all had uh, oxford english dictionary or every desk had an oxford english dictionary on it some people would say where have they gone <laughs> no, exactly so this is 20 years ago because i joined 2001 um and I, I don't know exactly why what the context of the story was but I do remember looking up the term batter because I didn't like the term batter at all and in the Oxford English Dictionary in those days it was very deliberate baseball and it was a person who bats in baseball and cricket was a batsman um, this the move this week I've, is pretty much inevitable I think the way things have gone which I've, I have no particular strong opinion on it but yeah the, I, the term batter it always rings baseball to me <laughs> it always will do I think um, well, let's part that one there before, uh, yeah, before, yeah. Rob, at least you've got winter to cool down. Um, <laughs> Jamie, what's your highlight of the week? Well, last Sunday we had the long-awaited occasion of the Granite Man finally going ahead uh, two weeks prior. As I've said a few times, it had been postponed due to fog, but it finally got ahead. Um, we did have about half the number of entries we originally would have had, but I don't think it actually detracted much from the sharp ends. And like going down to the beach, watching the start, there were still about 85 people in the water. It was still a good 
event in terms of both quality and quantity. And yeah, two very deserving winners. Um, on the men's end, Chris Norman took the best part of an hour off his previous time from 2019. Megan Chappell dominated the competition, won by 40 minutes from the next fastest woman. Uh, just really impressive to watch. It also produced, of course, one of the, the classic sports photographs of the year from our great team. Um, Andrea Pedvin's shot of Megan Chappell um, celebrating her victory rather early and at the bottom of the quarry with a big crane um, arcing over her. It was a wonderful shot. And um, yeah, and it just goes to show the, the class of the photographers we've got available to us, which yeah. is great. Couldn't agree more. It's remarkable, isn't it, that you sort of, well, it's a decent chunk into the race, isn't it? And, you know, for, for those guys to have the energy even <laughs> and the enthusiasm at the bottom of the quarry to uh, to put on a little show for the cameras is quite impressive. Yeah, You're saying course. we wouldn't be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> There'd be a good shot of me crawling past the camera, I think. Yeah. I think the crane would be picking me up. I don't know yeah. anything else. Yeah. Well, that's it for part one. Coming up next, we're going to be hearing a bit more about the Granite Man. Welcome back to the Guernsey Press Sport Podcast. As ever, don't forget to hit follow and subscribe wherever you're listening um, to get every episode delivered straight to you. Do give us a rating or review as well if you're enjoying the show. Let's talk a bit more about the Granite Man, Jamie, now. Uh, we'll get some thoughts from you on the race as a whole in a moment. But I caught up, actually, with uh, with the overall winner, uh, Chris Norman. A bit of a surprise package, as I think we're going to hear from you in a moment, Jamie, on the day. As you said, taking so much time out of his previous best. Uh, I asked him uh, just how he reflects on that race win. Yeah, 15 minutes from um, that would have been 2019, um, which is, I still really can't believe it. It was um, absolutely amazing to cross the line. It was, yeah, and I don't know, it was... Um, I didn't expect it, we'll say that. I didn't expect it. I thought it was in good form, but um, I was shocked to see the clock as I crossed it. Yeah, and just talk us through the race then. When did you kind of get a sense that you know, things were really clicking for you? Um, probably uh, one of the biggest things for me is always running off the bike. I normally normally struggle. It tends to be something I've, my running is normally going okay um, until until I put a bike ride before it and then it, my legs fall apart. And in that particular race, I seemed to get off the bike and they just felt like they were with me, which was it. A nice feeling. <laughs> Obviously, Granite Man, um, you know, it's uh, it's the, the flagship event of the summer. Well, I, I suppose a lot of people put a lot of work in, into it. So, yeah, in, in terms of sort of coming out on top against, you know, some formidable opposition, um, th- does that give you a real sense of, or sort of re- new sense of confidence that you can kind of sort of mix it at the very top of, of Island Triathlon? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, it's lovely to finish the season that way. Um, um, the last Olympic race probably didn't go quite as well for me and it was a little bit disheartening after putting so many hours into training and, and really trying to push hoping hoping to com- compete sort of right at the front end um, and it just didn't seem to be there so it's massive confidence boost to go into next year um, it's, the, it's the qualifiers the Ollingham qualifiers next year which is always going to be the, the sort of ultimate goal for me um, so it was great to yeah great to come out on top sort of end, end of season with, with a winter's training leading into that. What's it like, you know, for, for people who haven't done the Granite Man before? I mean, you know, it's obviously a, a serious distance, half Ironman distance um, with the the trip to the bottom of the quarry thrown into the mix. What is it like as a physical test? <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely testing. We'll say that. It's definitely testing. I think one thing if you're looking to, to take it on is just to prepare because I think an event like that, you've you've got to enjoy it. Um and if you're going to underprepared, I know even in 2019, I definitely didn't feel like I was quite ready for it. Um, and uh, the whole event was probably a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> um, whereas this time around, feeling much better heading in and, and feeling a bit more confident as you're, as you're taking on each discipline. 
definitely feel um, definitely in a more enjoyable day out. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> and do you get a sense of um, a real com- camaraderie around it as well? I know you know a lot of people obviously with sort of personal targets and, and, and it's a, a sort of a hell of an achievement for anyone to get around that, that course and um, uh, from sort of whatever background, I suppose. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it really is. And it's, I think it's, it's probably the, more or less obviously one of Guernsey's bigger events that, that people seem to focus on and spend sort of the year building towards it and just achieving it and actually completing that day. Um, you can see the smile on everyone's face across the line and, and what they've put into it and the work that's gone in behind the scenes as well just to just to make it. It's, it's amazing, that really is. And obviously you didn't feel too much effect from that two-week delay then in the end. Uh, what, what, what was that experience <laughs> like of being, of being on the start line a couple of weeks ago in, in thick fog and I guess for, for some period probably thinking that, that all that training would have been going to waste? Yeah, I must admit it was... Uh, it was different, but it wasn't. It wasn't so bad in the sense that I actually think that probably it was the right decision to cancel, because um, they were chatting about at one point um, just missing the swim out of it. And I thought, for everyone there, including myself, that I turned up to complete the Granite Man, um, it probably wouldn't have had the same sense of achievement. I've been sort of done, done two thirds of it and not gotten the full, full event in. So it was so good of the triathlon club to still manage to pull it off two weeks later, um, and uh, and it turned out to be a perfect day as well. It was a lovely day for it. Yeah, great effort from all involved. Um, and you mentioned the Island Games qualifier um, next year. Is that something very much on your radar now? Um, yeah, no, 100%. I think um, last time round, obviously, it was uh, it was all pushed back because of COVID. I wouldn't have actually got a spot, I don't think. I was just just off the marks. I've put, put another solid year of training in, just trying to get myself into contention for that. So I'm hoping, hoping that I'm in a place that, I can uh, I can make the team and, and do well for Guernsey. Yeah, brilliant. And what what's your background in triathlon? How um how, how long have you been pursuing it kind of seriously? And 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 how did you sort of arrive into the sport? Um, I actually started in what was I think first first event was 2017. Um, I did one of the, one of the tri tribes in novice triathlon um, at Beaujolais, which was sort of one of the one of the shorter distance events. Um. I couldn't, I couldn't swim very well, so that was always my downfall. I, I like the idea of sort of a multidiscipline um, sport, but I definitely didn't have much of a swimming background. I did a lot of running before before triathlon, a bit of push biking, so I managed to get get myself up to a 400 meter distance, which was that that first event was, um, and went from there basically. So that was yeah, like I said, the first one I ever did. And and, and clearly caught the bug somewhat then to to be in a position <laughs> now where. Um, I guess you're putting in a lot of hours of training over the course of a summer and, and pulling off results like you did on Sunday. Yeah, no, there's definitely um, definitely a bit of work since gone gone since then. Um, in fact, in 17, I, I got a real real buzz for it. Loved it, absolutely loved it, and realised in sort of in in the following year, I tried to step up to a sprint distance. So up to it was a 7:50 meter swim for the sprint, and after a couple of sort of um, tough days in, in water. I really struggled in races. I was I was swallowing a lot, a lot of sea basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought to myself, now this has got to change. I was, I was training for the two disciplines that I really enjoy, and, and training for two in a three discipline sport really wasn't what I needed. So spent spent most of nineteen sort of just putting over that winter as well, putting so much time into the pool. Um, I was quite lucky to be working through the Rockets Hotel, the health suite there. So I had a pool sort of on the doorstep. I was jumping there every night, just trying to put a few hours in to get myself in a, in a position to take on Olympic. What will you be your, your approach over winter? Is it kind of ticking over or is there some stuff to, to put a lot of work in on again? Yeah, I think we're probably, I'm still going to keep putting the hours in. Um, what I'm doing right now seems to be working well. 
Um, I'm still following the guidance of um, entire Josh Josh Lewis's group, and that seems to be sort of really working well for me. I'm going to keep keep pushing on over the next next few months and try and try and come back into next season, hopefully in the position that we finish this one in. Yeah, brilliant. Well, best of luck and enjoy uh, yeah, enjoy the winter. Thank you so much. No, much appreciated. Chris Norman speaking to me a bit earlier on there. Jamie, just give us your thoughts on the race as a whole as well. How much of a surprise was it to see him win and, and win so comfortably? Well, he was always up there as one of their big contenders. But the thing is that it was a very open race. I would have said there have been probably three top contenders. I think a lot of the people I was speaking to would have put Dave Mosley, who eventually put second, as the winner. But the fact is, Chris beat him by four minutes in the end. Um, he just ran a, he just did a really, really solid race, solid swim. Um, and I think a lot of people were predicting Ove's first drop. He's a very strong cyclist, would come off the bike first. But Chris was hot on his heels. Um, really, on paper, he's the fastest half marathon runner. So I don't think it's any real shock that he would have pulled away from that point. But yeah, it just, it's just testament to how much he's improved because he is a relative novice to the sport. Yeah, really good stuff. And we spoke to Megan Chappell earlier in the summer, um, who's obviously been competing all over the place, uh, you know, over the last few months. Yeah, an outstanding winner on the women's side. Oh, she was just <laughs> just consistently a really strong performance. I mean, yeah, beating the second woman by 40 minutes. Again, second place was a solid Island Games level to athletes. But also, only being 15 minutes behind the top man, that's just a real good quality of performance. And any other standout performers on the day, Jamie? I think amid the depth of the men's contenders, what I found quite impressive was Alan Rowe. He missed the podium in the end, placing fourth, but he's in his mid to late 50s. And he's just got really good staying power as a triathlete. And it's remarkable that he can continue turning out those performances. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm sure lots of people very pleased to... Uh, get the Granite Man uh, done and dusted after that two-week delay. So well done to everyone who finished. Um, right, let's leave it there on that front and we'll uh, come back next with a look ahead to what's coming up. Welcome back. Things are starting to hot up, aren't they? The the schedule is uh, is filling in, as we mentioned at the top. Uh, yeah, good news that Guernsey FC matches are on the horizon. Lots else to look forward to as well. Gareth, let's start on the rugby front. Um, Raiders going for a third straight win on the road before they come back home for the first time. Yes, yeah, quite remarkable, really. When um, sort of the start of September, when we knew there were going to be four away games, and sort of the thought was maybe one or two wins would be a good start to the season. The first game obviously ended in defeat to Worthing, although um, we put in a decent second half performance there. So they then started thinking perhaps just one win would do well. Um, and then back-to-back wins, um, beat Rochford in, in that big ding-dong game um, between the two promotion rivals. And then winning away at Dings last week in a real sort of seesaw battle, that was an excellent performance, especially holding on in, in the last five minutes when um, Dings had a couple of decent sort of chances from five metres out to get over the line. That was a great performance. So if if Raiders can manage to sort of go and go with one more game, win at Barnsall this weekend, I think that's beyond pretty much what anyone's wildest dreams as to the, the sort of the four games on the road start to the season. Yeah, it'd be quite incredible. And they're not the only Raiders side in action this weekend. Uh, the women return to the field for the first time in a, in a league context, certainly since the pandemic, obviously. Uh, Rob, we went down to, to chat to new captain Kayleigh Oliver uh, in midweek. Um, yeah, they, they travel away, I think it's a couple of weeks before their first home game. But what sense did you get of the uh, the feeling in the camp there? Kaylee is hugely optimistic. Um, a woman who only six weeks ago, just under six weeks ago, 
broke her ankle. And yet there she was at training this week, um, preparing to lead out her side against Streatham and Croydon this Sunday. Um, in one of the um, southeast divisions, we get moved around, it seems, every year, and we've been moved again, apparently. Um, she's leading a very young side um, into battle. Um, but she's hugely optimistic. And uh, we wish them well. I think the cast only came off a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah. And she was, she was detected a bit of a limp as she sort of jogged around the, the pitch preparing for the game um, in training. And um, full, 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 full credit to her for coming back so quickly. I hope she's um, not, done, not doing it too soon. Yeah, you said she's definitely very confident. Um, I spoke to her on, on Tuesday night at training. Uh, here's what she told me. Oh, it's just so exciting. Like, everyone is just absolutely buzzing about it. And we've got quite a lot of people who haven't played a game yet. So they're obviously a bit nervous, but so excited. Like, it's unbelievable, really, isn't it? In fact, we're finally getting to play rugby again. I feel like we're probably going to be in better shape than a lot of the UK teams, personally. Obviously, I'm biased. But, um, yeah, because they've obviously had much more of a break than we have. We've been quite lucky to be able to play for a lot of the whole time really so uh, yeah I'm feeling pretty strong pretty great I feel like we're all going to win everything obviously <laughs> um, so, yeah so I uh, started two or three years ago as tight head prop got thrown in the deep end weren't many forwards then so I literally was playing like 80 minutes every game uh, not really knowing what I was doing and um, yeah and obviously it's been like a big team like change around so uh, yes my first season as captain and I'm going to be flanker this year so yeah so so excited looking forward to all of it Kaylee Oliver, the captain of Guernsey Raiders ladies there, speaking to me uh, on Tuesday night. All the best to them. Um, what else have we got coming up? Well, it's sort of the, it's the real end of the summer season now because um, it's the rearranged Lancrest Open this weekend having, well, I say summer season, it got, it got abandoned the first time around because it was absolutely hosing down and blowing a hoolie in, in August when it was first attempted to play, but they've got a very good field out uh, at Lancrest this weekend, um, obviously the, with the lights sort of dimming a lot earlier these days, uh, this late in the in the summer season. Um, They've got less of a feel, but not by much. I think it's about 150 entries and all the top guys from the island side will be playing. So it'll be um, really interesting to see who comes out on top. And I think the weather is actually set fair for Saturday, fingers crossed. So we could see some good low scoring. Um, we won't see our man Tony with his, uh, crouched in his car with his, his lens stuck <laughs> on this gap between window and the top of the door I'm blaming, as, the, I'm blaming as, the, as the rain pelts down. I'm it? blaming Tony for the weather on the first occasion because he decided to turn up just as it really started to it down yeah i did look uh, it's probably like either yeah very either very strange or like some sort of cia opti- operative in the the black car with the kind of lens poking out the window <laughs> getting a bit of scout again yeah um well hopefully it stays uh, stays dry and then of course on sunday jamie it's going to be pretty busy on the roads around there with uh, with lots of runners yep we've got another big endurance event in this case for butterfield half marathon in terms of participation it's a huge event i think we're looking at sellout entries most years it can be 500 plus runners on the start line i think it'll be interesting to see who comes out top on this occasion um will boskin was in tremendous form up until a few weeks ago um he would have been the defending champion he told me earlier that he's 50-50 about starting. That'll be a bit of a shame because I think you thought that we might see something quite spectacular time-wise from him. Yeah, well, he's targeting both the Guernsey half and the Guernsey marathon and he's, he's just so committed in his training and it, he's beating some quite respected runners in terms of their past times and he's still on a good upwards trajectory. Um, so we could have maybe seen a sub-70 half from him. I'd maybe put that out there, but... We're not sure if we'll make the start line, in which case it will be quite an interesting open race. 
because we've got James Priest on the start line, but we also had Je- Guernsey's top triathlete, Josh Lewis, suddenly commit to it last moment. And he's, in terms of 5K time, he'd definitely give James Priest a good challenge. What we'll do over the half marathon, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, fresh from the Super League triathlon, I drove past Josh running along uh, Fell Road the other day, obviously getting his training in, glutton for punishment, because that was uh, probably a bit of a stiff test on the, on the weekend in Jersey, but... Um, yeah, interesting. We'll look forward to a big field on Sunday. Uh, Rob, where are you going to be this weekend? Um, football at the Northfield Saturday afternoon where Nor- Northerners entertain Rovers. Um, and a side story to that is that um, Rovers um, will be going there with a very, very weakened team. And um, one of the absentees is um, will be young Connor Bays, who I'm afraid to say had a really dreadful accident last weekend, um, which led it led him to um, being flown to Southampton with some serious injuries, I believe. Kevin Gillies uh, tells me that his week has been sort of, his thoughts all week have been dominated by this this um, accident to Connor and um, we wish him well. Um, you know, he certainly needs it. Um, he's sort of played on and off and at right back for the Rovers' first team this season. He's a promising young player and um, as I say, it's, it's not good. But anyway, um, hopefully... We'll get a positive outcome there. Um, and while we're talking about um, those sort of sort of serious issues, um, sad to say, it's time to sort of sort of pay a little bit of tribute to a couple of great old sportsmen who have um, Guernsey sportsmen who have passed away in the recent fortnight. Mick Wakeford um, was was the first, and he, Mick was obviously a great um, great um, softballer in his time. Very very keen. Um, footballer and in more recent times was a very very good umpire one of Guernsey's best umpires father of Paul of course um, Guernsey um, Guernsey player for many years um, and then the other one we just learned to today was um, Mick Fuller who was one of the Guernsey's finest goalkeepers of the post-war years he only played two Marathi caps in 74 and 75 but that was largely due to the fact that his career coincided totally with Joe Brazier being about and they were sort of like the two of the best in the island and the selectors invariably went for the man who was involved um, playing in front of the, um, the defence of St Martins who were winning the league year in year out but Mick was an absolutely fantastic very agile goalkeeper at Valrec he played in their first three Uptons when they made the breakthrough to Pose Saints uh, he was a bit of a sparky character. Um, as I say, his, his, his shot stopping was terrific. Um, and I seem to remember him as a young kid. He used to he he, he captured the imagine. Well, he obviously had his imagination caught by Lev Yashin, the great Russian, and he used to play in all black for a while. Um, but away from football, he was also a really really good cricketer and um, scored stacks of runs for Pilgrims for many many years. Played in the Guernsey Cricket League side for a long time. One particular golden summer, he outscored absolutely everybody in local cricket and played in one full interinsula. So he's one of those small bands of small band of sportsmen who have played both Guernsey um, football and cricket at the top level. And um, he was also apparently a brilliant softballer and a very very accomplished table tennis player in his younger days. 
Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, obviously, our, you know, our thoughts with uh, with their family, friends, and of course with with young Connor as well. All the best with his recovery. Yeah, I'm sure the whole of the football community are wishing him well. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. Um, let's leave it there. Um, busy weekend ahead, as ever. You'll be able to read all about it and more in the pages of the Guernsey Press. Uh, follow us on social media as well at GSY Press Sport on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers Tony.